0: This morning, we are going to end our sermon series. Uh, His name shall be called, and um, we have already looked at three of the four names that have been given to Jesus by the Father that Isaiah uh, shows us in uh, chapter 9 of his prophecy, that Jesus is Messiah, is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father. He's our wonderful counselor because he provides all the guidance and help that we need to face any circumstance that we go through in our life. He not only perfectly knows all things and has perfect wisdom and guidance, but he has perfect knowledge of who we are as his children. And that's what makes him wonderful counselor. Jesus is mighty God, he is sovereign. Whatever power or ability that we lack, he holds completely and perfectly. In all authority and all fullness. He is mighty to do the things that we could never do, both here and eternity. And the greatest thing that he is mighty to do that we cannot do for ourselves is to make us redeemed. Amen. That's what he does. That's that he is mighty God, sovereign over all things. And then last week, we said that he is everlasting father. That everything we know, everything that we experience as humans, we are trapped in time and space here on earth. But Jesus, as the everlasting father, has no boundaries of time or space. He forever keeps his covenants with us. His promises are sure His love is eternal and it will last far beyond this world. It will last into eternity where faith and hope in eternity are no longer needed because they will be, faith will be sight and what we hope for will be reality. But love is the greatest of the three because it lasts for all eternity. And he is the father and author of eternity, that Jesus is the creator and the author of eternity. Eternity, And that should just blow our minds to try to to wrap our minds around. And in eternity, he promises the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth. And that we will be with him forever. And as we've said before, we'll live in a reality where there are no more lasts of anything. Lasts go away. And so today we're going to conclude. For just a few moments, I want you to focus with me on the final name of Jesus given to us in Isaiah 9-6. And if you'll look at it with me again, Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. What's the last one? Prince... Of peace, Isaiah says that Jesus will be called Prince of Peace. The angels, when we remember the account in Luke, the angels when they made the announcement to the shepherds that night, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. If most of us are really honest this morning we probably more often feel like peace is something that we are looking for rather than something that we already have. If we're really honest. I think when we hear the word peace, most of us in our minds think, wow, that would be nice. Because we, our lives are so full of turmoil the world that we live in is so full of turmoil if jesus came as the prince of peace why is it so difficult for us to experience peace why do we often look at peace as something to be attained later like we've not like we don't have it but we wish we could have it and maybe one day we'll get it but jesus says i've come as the prince of peace already and so I, I thought about that a lot this week and, and it's obvious that peace isn't one of the first words that we would use to describe the world and the culture that we live in and I'm not just talking about war I'm not talking about politics just that obviously the presence of wars and, and conflict among nations obviously there's no peace in that but the truth is sometimes it's hard for us to find peace within the four walls of our house. Just in our, in our families, sometimes, we could say, well, I could use some peace. Too often, I think it's difficult to find peace within churches all across the country. That there is conflict and turmoil that goes on within the church that is so unnecessary and so destructive and so hurtful To people. You can't even pick up your phone and use social media without seeing conflict. I mean, there are comment battles every minute. It, there's not a day that I don't pick up my phone and scroll through Facebook or, or even Instagram or Twitter or something and see where somebody is just going off on a rant about something that they don't like or something that they think isn't, isn't fair. And then somebody else comments underneath it. You guys know what I'm talking about. And maybe, unfortunately, some of us have been a part of those. Just comment after comment, rant after rant. Accusation after accusation, and it gets ugly. There's no peace there. As difficult as peace is to find in the world outside of ourselves, sometimes it's even more difficult for us to experience peace on the inside in our own in our own individual lives. There's so many people who fight daily. Internal conflicts, struggles, pain. Incompleteness in their own lives and in their own hearts. When Isaiah wrote that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that Hebrew word that he uses is the word shalom. And that's a word that many of us are familiar, familiar with. It's a greeting. It's, it's a greeting that, that the Jewish culture even uses to this day. When we um, have taken our mission trips to Brooklyn, New York, and we go into the Hasidic Jewish community there in Brooklyn, um, as we would walk past, one of the things we would do is we would greet people, as we would, as we would pass them, and we would say, Shalom. And our friend Pastor Jamie would begin conversations with Jews in that community by... Greeting them with that greeting of peace. That word primarily describes completeness. Is what shalom means. A completeness, a soundness, a contentment is what that word encompasses. And I think part of the reason that we always feel that we are in this endless pursuit of trying to find peace is that we misunderstand where peace really comes from. Like we're always looking for it. You know, like the old song says, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. I think sometimes we as people are looking for peace in all the wrong places, and the reason we can't find it is because we're not looking in the right place. We live as if we can find peace in lots of different places, that it's everywhere, that uh, some people spell peace M-O-N-E-Y, Right, I mean, don't we? Don't we pursue money as something that we think will bring us peace? Well, if I can just get to this point financially in my life, then I'll experience peace. And no, no, no—bash um, on Dave Ramsey, but Financial Peace University is the name of his program, which basically says if you can if you can get financially stable like this, you'll have peace. Well, maybe, maybe financial peace. But money doesn't bring the kind of peace that Jesus brings. It's a, it's a different. that What we're talking about here with Christ is such a different peace. And it's a peace that transcends any of the other peace that you can find in any material things. Money, relationships. Sometimes we chase after relationships with people, friendships, relationships, marriages, boyfriends, girlfriends. Thinking, if I can just find that right person, then I'll be at peace. Status um, with our career. We're constantly trying to climb the ladder to get to the next step and if I can just get here, then I'll experience peace. We think that peace comes as a feeling when we're able to orchestrate our circumstances in just the right order. All of these exterior things. If we can just get everything put in place, even sometimes in our houses... Like, when we, like, I talked about the other week how, how hard Kim and I worked to clean our house for all y'all to come to it when we did our open house thing, right? Well, there's a, you guys know what it's like. Like, when you when you work really hard even in your house to get everything put away exactly the way it's supposed to be and you can sit down. Don't you enjoy sitting in your house more when it's like that? <laughs> like, it's just more peaceful. Like, you, you sit, and so so we think... That in our lives, if we can just orchestrate, if we can clean up our lives the same way we clean up our houses and just put everything in the right place where it's supposed to go, then our lives will be full of peace. But that's not, that's not the, the kind of peace Jesus is the prince of. The peace Jesus brings isn't a feeling. Real peace is not a feeling. Real peace is a person. Jesus is peace. When Isaiah says he came as the prince of peace, he embodies peace. He is peace. When the world is looking for peace, what they're really looking for is Jesus. They just don't know it. Because he is the embodiment of peace. He comes into a world that is frantically chasing after peace. And he himself... is the the place and the source that provides that peace. So very quickly this morning, there are two truths about real peace. The peace that Jesus is the prince of that I want us to understand and I want you to take home with you today because this is New Year's. We're beginning to, we're kind of in this space where we're evaluating our lives and we're kind of looking and saying, God, what are the things that I want to do different? What are new goals that I want to have me as your pastor, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm saying, God, what is it that you, that you want our church to become in 2019? What changes do you want to bring? How do you want to form us into the, into the people that you've already determined that you want us to be? But real peace that Jesus brings, there are two truths about it that I want us to understand. And here's the first one that Jesus came to bring us peace with God. Peace with God. I want you to look with me at Isaiah 53, in verse 5. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he, meaning Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us Peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And then Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 say this. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation." Jesus comes as the Prince of Peace to establish peace between God and mankind where there is no peace. We have to understand that because of original sin, because of the choice and the the sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve, we are born enemies of God. We were never neutral. Like you, you, you have to understand this. That we, even though you may not have ever had hostile thoughts about God. You have always been, until Christ has reconciled you. And you've accepted what he's done for you. You have been the enemy of God. You have been in conflict with him. There is a war, so to speak. That has gone on between unredeemed, unregenerate man, and holy, righteous God. Paul is very clear in Romans that Jesus brought us reconciliation with God. And there's no need for reconciliation unless there's conflict. Paul would have never said, used the word reconciliation. You reconcile things that are broken, things that are in conflict. And so because Paul says that Christ came to bring us reconciliation, that shows us that the relationship between God and man has been broken. And there's, and there's conflict between the two. There's no need for peace until there's conflict. So you say, well, what is that conflict? I never had anything against God. I've never been, I've never been hostile to God or said I didn't believe in God. I've always believe that God was real. What do you mean that I've been in conflict with God all this time? From the first moment that we experienced the power of sin in our life, we had something against God. You say, what have I ever had against God? Your sin. Your sin is against God. The conflict is sin, and our desire to let Sin rule in our lives. Sinful mankind is in direct conflict with holy God. That is the dilemma. We are enemies of God because sin reigns in us and we stand rightfully guilty before a righteous God. When I share the gospel often with with kids, like at Vacation Bible School, I'll ask them this question and say, how many of you guys have ever been woken up in the morning, in your bed, before you got up and thought, I'm going to get up today and not sin. Did you ever try that when you were a kid? Maybe you try it right now. But the older we get, the more we realize it doesn't work. But when we were a kid, I would remember, I would wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, I'm going to try, try to go all day long today and not sin. Not do anything wrong. I'm going to not sin for one whole day. And that lasted like... Through my Fruit Loops, maybe. Um, because, because our sinful nature is at war with God. There's a conflict between the two. But praise God, Isaiah says that the one who came would take all of our transgressions, in that that verse, he takes all of our transgressions and our iniquities and the punishment that was rightfully deserved for us, and he substituted himself in that place. He says the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Peace with God doesn't come without punishment. Reconciliation with God cannot come without punishment. It cannot come without judgment. You know why? Because God is righteous and holy. God cannot just excuse sin. He doesn't call us before him in the courtroom of righteousness and say, you know what, Eric, I really do love you. You're really, really, I, like, I love you. You're, I love you so much. And, and there's all, you're so guilty. But you know what? Because I love you, I'm just going to let you off the hook. If I were a judge in Rome, Georgia, and, and one of you came in my courtroom, and I saw you, and I'm sitting on the stand, and I say, oh, oh, what are you doing here, Danny Wiseman? I just picked you, Danny. Danny Wiseman, what are you doing here? Like, what in the world? Like, there is evidence galore that you are guilty as can be. And I go, Danny, I love you. Like you're my, you're my friend what, what are you doing here and my affection for Danny has nothing to do with the fact that he is guilty and my role as a judge is to make sure justice is served if I were to call Danny up to my stand and say you know what man we are pals I love you I don't know why you did what you did but you know what I'm just going to let you go What kind of judge would I be? How long would I have a job? Not very long. You know why? Because I've not been righteous. I have not made sure that justice has been served. God is the perfect judge. And so when you hear people say, oh, if God loves everybody, why why does he send people to hell? Number one, he doesn't send anybody to hell. Number two, because he can't be unjust. God is perfect love, but he is also perfect justice. And he doesn't just write off our sin because he loves us. Peace with God can't come without punishment. But this is how much he loved us. (laughs) He said, justice has to be served. Sin has to be punished. But I'm going to send my son to be the substitute for your punishment. You want to talk about love. Wouldn't it have been easier... For God to just write it all off? But he had to maintain his perfection, his perfect love, and his perfect justice as righteous, holy God. And he said, punishment, judgment has to be served. So I'm going to put it on my son. And Isaiah says, the punishment that brought us peace was on The end of this conflict is where real peace starts. Until you surrender to God through Jesus' substitution for you on the cross, you can never have real peace. You can look for it in all of the things and people and places that you can think of. But until you surrender to the gospel that Jesus came to bring peace between you and God you will never experience real peace so once we've experienced peace experienced Jesus as the only one who could bring us peace with God that there was conflict between us and God and Jesus came to, to resolve that conflict to bring peace between us and God then after that we're able to experience the daily reality of the peace of God that's number two Jesus came to bring us peace with God, to end the conflict between God and mankind. And then after we've experienced that, then we're able to experience a daily reality of the peace of God. So Jesus brings us first peace with God, and then he brings us the peace of God to dwell in us. Listen to John chapter 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples. John 14, beginning in verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Stop right there for a minute. You notice that the whole doctrine of the Trinity is in that one verse? The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, that's the first person, whom the Father... Second person will send in my name, Jesus. Third person. And he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Look at verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. Because Jesus is the only one who could bring peace in that conflict between sin and the righteous judgment of God. He is the only one who can bring peace on a day-to-day basis through the personal relationship that begins the day we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. That day-to-day peace that we're looking for. Only... Comes in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from all the other things that we're looking for it to come from. This is the only place. I'm afraid that so many people, even some Christians, have given up on the presence of peace in their lives. I mean, I think some people have just given up on the fact and they think there's no way that I'm ever going to really experience peace in this world. It is too messed up. There's too much conflict going on. There's too much war, destruction, turmoil. Maybe even in my own life and my own family, there is so much messed up about my life that even if I'm a believer, even if I'm a Christian, I'm glad I'm going to get to go to heaven and maybe one day experience peace because right now I I don't feel it. And it seems impossible. But this is what we've missed. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the presence of Jesus in our life is the presence of peace. Peace comes with presence. The presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it comes in the relationship between us and Christ. Jesus said peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do you realize Jesus says I'm, I'm going to give you the same peace that I have. That's the peace I want to give to you. And that's eternal. You think about the peace of the Holy Son of God being in you. Jesus says that's the peace I've come to give you. You say, well, how do I get that peace? Because I don't feel it. Look in John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, what can you do? Nothing. Nothing if you remain in me. Jesus used this illustration of the branches and the vine to say that the life that comes from the branches, the vine, the fruit that comes from the branches only come from the branches when they are connected to the vine. And the ones who are not connected to the vine bear no fruit. And he says if you remain in me and I in you, if you you Abide in me. The same way the branch can't bear fruit unless it's connected to the vine. Neither can we experience peace in our day to day lives unless there is a connection of relationship between us and Jesus. And you say, well, Eric, doesn't that uh, the fact that I that I've been saved, the fact that I've, I've I've made a decision. At one point in my life, and I gave my life to Christ, isn't that enough? Shouldn't that be enough for me to experience peace? No, not really. Jesus says, if you abide in me. If you stay connected. If there's life on a regular basis flowing from the vine into you, the branches. That's when you see fruit. When we learn to do that, when we learn to keep our connection, our personal connection with Christ, we experience a peace that is similar to a hurricane over an ocean. If you think about a hurricane, as it passes over, we see the hurricanes when it hits landfall, but we always look at the weather, and you see the, you see the storms that are they're, they're out in the ocean where nobody is, and, it's br- and, and there could be 20-foot waves crashing, there could be 150 mile an hour winds blowing around up on the surface. But what is it like if you go under the water? And you go feet and feet and feet below the depths of the ocean. You know, you know what you'll find? Calm. Stillness. Like there is a hurricane going on up top. But if you dive down underneath the water, it's still. That's the peace that Jesus is talking about. Peace doesn't come from our circumstances. There's so many seeking to find peace, but they think that it can happen without Jesus, but it just can't. We think that peace comes when the storm goes away. But Jesus says, there's a deeper peace that I've come to give you. Do you think that the Son of God lost his peace when he was being tortured and nailed to that cross? Who has suffered anything worse than that? Or even close to equal to that? And do you think Jesus... For a moment, do you think he lost his peace? Do you think in those moments of the worst turmoil any human being could ever experience, do you think Jesus stopped being the Prince of Peace when he hung on the cross? Of course not. His circumstances didn't look peaceful. But he was still the Prince of Peace. He never lost it. And he says, uh, we sometimes just think that peace is our circumstance. When we ask Jesus to bring us peace, we're, we're really asking him to take the storm away. And Jesus says, peace isn't about what's above the water. Peace is what's underneath. Peace is what it comes regardless of what the circumstances are. And you know who these people are, and you've seen it. Because you know it's real. I'll tell you guys, I saw that kind of peace weeks ago when I was with um, the Freddie Giles family, when I was with those guys. I saw that peace in Freddie's eyes, in his home, minutes and hours before his life was going to end. I saw the peace of Jesus in him so it's real I saw the peace of Jesus in the Cook family when we lost Bonnie to eternity I saw this piece. circumstances nuts crazy wouldn't wish on anybody But the presence of Jesus, the presence of peace, is so real and so true. It goes beyond what's on the surface. So you may be asking, okay, Eric, I'm a believer. I know I'm saved, but there's so much turmoil in my life. I haven't felt that kind of peace in a really long time. If I have Jesus and Jesus' peace, why am I not feeling it or experiencing it? I got, I've got a question to ask you to try to help you figure that out. We said that peace comes from the presence of Jesus. And even though you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, how present is he in your life today? If Jesus is the embodiment of peace, if he is the Prince of Peace, and his presence brings peace... If we as believers aren't experiencing the peace of Christ, regardless of our circumstances, maybe we need to see how present he is. The reason for our separation from God in the first place was sin. And then even after we become believers and Christ saves us, Jesus said that we are to abide in him. And that relationship has to be cultivated just like relationships that we have with people. Just like relationships that we have with our wives, our husbands, our kids. What happens when the relationship isn't cultivated and we don't give time, attention, and commitment to it? You know what happens? We get distracted by lesser loves. We get distracted by sin, Though we belong to Jesus, we stop abiding in Jesus and the reality of the peace that he provides becomes hidden behind all of these other things that our minds and our hearts are focused on. So how do you make sure that, you're, that you abide in Christ? You know how? You camp out right here. And I know what I know what some of y'all have to be thinking. You're probably thinking, Eric, I feel like every week you say something about how important it is for us to read our Bibles. Yep. And I'm gonna keep saying it. Gonna keep saying it. So don't get tired of hearing it. This is the greatest gift and resource. That we have and so many of the things that we are looking to experience from God, we find right here. But so many of us, this is nothing more than an accessory that we put on on Sunday morning. Just like our earrings and our belt and our shoes, it's part of the outfit. And when we take it home, it sits on the shelf just like our clothes hang in the closet. And then we cry out to God and say, God, why, don't I, why can't I feel you? God, why can't I experience you? The peace that we experience in Jesus comes from knowing that he keeps his promises. And those promises are the source of strength for us in the storm. But we're not going to abide in his promises if we don't know what his promises are. And the only way you can know what his promises are is to read this book. There are so many incredible promises that Jesus has given us. And it's those promises that when our storm is out of control, you say, where does that peace come from? comes from. It comes from the knowledge of the promises that Jesus makes. And to know that when Jesus makes a promise, he keeps it. Listen to this promise. Philippians 4, 4-7. Rejoice in the Lord when... I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's near. He's present. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with what? Thanksgiving. How much of your... How much of our time that we spend in prayer asking Jesus for stuff is sprinkled with gratitude? You know, we complain about our kids sometimes because they're always asking for stuff. And we say, oh, you're so ungrateful. You never say thank you for anything. think God ever feels that way. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we find moments of gratitude and rejoicing in the midst of a crazy storm, and we bring our anxiousness to Him in prayer, and we're careful to always give Him gratitude, For what he's done, he says the peace of God will come. And we'll not only experience his peace, but that peace will guard our hearts and minds. It's like a shield, and it guards us from the effects of of the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our lives, the effects of the storm. And it guards us and covers us. And we continue to grow and grow in the likeness of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who secured our peace with God. And he is the only source of the peace of God in our life day to day. Wouldn't you love to find some peace? There's only one place to get it.